Hi everyone, I'm Mike Morris. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Community Corner. Throughout this pandemic, small businesses have been particularly hard hit, overlooked by various support programs while forced to close or pivot their business to help us all reduce the spread of COVID-19. At a time when the same hasn't been uniformly expected of many big box stores. As a result, many in our community have taken action from advocating to policymakers to sharing about our favorite local shops on social media to ensuring we order directly from our local restaurants rather than using a third party app. For my part, I've sought to amplify the voices of our small business community. And so in tonight's episode, I'm chatting with business owner Thompson Tran of Wooden Boat Food Company. We cover lots of ground, starting with how important collaboration and community support are to a thriving small business. Thompson also shared more about how Wooden Boat Food Company's pivot to pizza paid off during the pandemic, how music can save a person's life, and how in his view, education and empathy are key to combating racism. As always, if you've got any feedback or ideas for future shows, please feel free to reach out through social media at Morris Mike anytime. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Thompson tonight. Uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks uh, everyone for joining us. I'm here tonight. It's actually, it's a huge honor uh, to be here with Thompson Tran, uh, the owner and executive chef of Kitchener's The Wooden Boat. Uh, welcome, Thompson. Hey, thanks a lot, buddy. Really, <laughs> you, you want to talk to me? You want to talk to me? I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, man. I really uh, appreciate, um, appreciate you taking the time to really kind of highlight what's going on uh, locally. So thank you. Well, and likewise, uh, you know, as a, as a restaurant owner, there's no shortage of demands on your time. So the fact that you're willing to make time to have this conversation, uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, so if you don't mind, we'll start briefly just with a, um, a land acknowledgement. Uh, and, uh, and then we'll kind of share more about uh, Thompson's background and get into some of the questions. And so again, welcome to folks that are join, jo joining us. Uh, as we get started, I want to acknowledge that Thompson and I are both speaking with you tonight from the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Neutral peoples. Uh, as many of you already know, we're situated on the Haldeman Tract. It's 950,000 acres of land that was given to the Six Nations in 1784, 10 kilometers on each side of the Grand River. Uh, more specifically, uh, Kitchener is on a portion of this land that's known as Block 2. It was intended to be leased to settlers and instead was sold as land with full title. And so I feel like it's worth repeating that across all of the Haldeman Tract, there were actually very few outright sales of land and 90% of the leased land has never been paid for or paid to Six Nations. If you're joining us from another location tonight, I encourage you to research the history of the land that you live and work on. Uh, for me, my interest in acknowledging this history is reminding us that the injustice of this past plays an important role in forming our conversations today. Uh, as an example, we're having this conversation on World Water Day, and while we talk about food culture in Waterloo Region, at least 38 First Nation communities today continue to be under long-term drinking water advisories. We must do better for these communities and for the people who live there. Tonight, I acknowledge all of this in the interest of nurturing and seeking to live out a shared and active hope that 
our conversation and the days ahead are part of a journey towards genuine truth and reconciliation. Again, excited to have Thompson with me tonight. A bit of a background on Thompson for those of you that don't already know, of course, the executive chef, founder and owner of the Wooden Boat Food Com Company. Uh, in their own words, an eclectic restaurant, and uh, I, I would I would tend to agree. Uh, and boutique catering company in Kitchener, specializing in Vietnamese and French food. Uh, they've been operating since 2018, um, and you know Im embedding principles of sustainability and localism in everything that they do. Uh, Thompson himself is a former culinary teacher, uh, spent many years honing his uh, his skills at uh, a number of prestigious Vancouver restaurants before coming to Kitchener. Uh, also has a Bachelor of Music in Classical Guitar Performance uh, and a Bachelor of Education. Uh, and we may have time to come back to this. He took a two-year hiatus from cooking and teaching to pursue a musical dream that culminated in a Grammy Award nomination in 2010. Uh, not often that our periods of rest from other work lead to those kinds of accolades. Um, and so again, Thompson, it's, uh, yeah, it's really just a joy to have you with us. Uh, thanks again for making time. Oh, my pleasure. It's uh, to talk to you anytime, anytime, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and particularly, it's a, it's a nice night out too. So um, as we start to get into the beginnings of spring, uh, I wanted to start this conversation by hearing a bit about the starting of the journey. I find these entrepreneurial stories uh, are really energizing. So. I guess the first part is like, why would you do this? Why start the wooden boat in the first place? And kind of what was some of that experience like for you? Uh, sure. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take everybody back uh, a little bit, uh, just to give a little bit of background. So I grew up in Langley, British Columbia. I was born in Edmonton, really cold. My parents moved to BC. Uh, and they were just, just like any other Vietnamese family, they actually um, are entrepreneurs at heart. So it's really pretty much ingrained in the culture in Vietnam. And I think in a lot of Southeast Asian uh, companies, you have their own a jewelry shop, a restaurant, a barber. <clears throat> so it's really ingrained in that, that culture. And so I grew up in that. Uh, my parents were both uh, tailors. Uh, my father um, was very much a, an entrepreneur in spirit. So he, he bought a lot of real estate at cheap, cheap prices. Um, and, you know, just kind of grew on it. And they had what we don't have now, patience. Hmm. So, um, you know, 30 years of patience, um, I really paid off. And so, uh, and, and then kind of when I was about 14, my aunts and uncles with my parents opened a restaurant and that was, that was it. So that really kind of started the whole thing. I was a dishwasher. I was prepping. Uh, I was very fortunate to grow up, grow up with the Vietnamese food that I did. Um, we were very poor. We started from very, very humble beginnings. Uh, we used a food bank in our, our area probably once every two weeks or so, uh, maybe once a week, uh, depending on, on the time. Um, and as we got older, I started up um, working very hard at the age of seven. Mm -hmm. And I labor going out to work at the farm every single summer. Um, so the commitment to working hard, um, you know, as a unit, as a kind of a community uh, of Vietnamese people in this brand new country, uh, was ingrained. So fast forward to 14 years old. And, and Thompson, if you're going to go back, I guess curious as well, uh, were your parents first generation immigrants to Canada? What was kind of those? Because I, I get the sense that you had entrepreneurship kind of all around you growing up. I, I guess start to answer the question of, well, you know, it was kind of in your DNA that the idea of taking this kind of a risk uh, is kind of part of your history. But kind of curious that part of your history too. Yeah, and 
I mean, the things that make us who we are isn't very evident until you get older and you kind of live life and you realize everything that you've done in the past has kind of shaped who you are. Um, so ingrained in my, my culture, uh, my parents owned a tailor shop, my aunts owned hairdressers. Um, and I mean, and like I said, it was instilled in me to work extremely hard. Nobody else is going to make the, you know, the foundation that I needed to become who I am except for myself. So um, I started working as a, as a busboy. Uh, food runner, uh, dishwasher. Um, I went to my parents' tailor shop every day after school and helped them hem, helped them serge so I know how to sew. That's crazy. Um, and the funny thing is all that came into when I became a high school teacher. I could teach a home ec. I could teach. Sure. Uh, so it all kind of uh, played in that way. And moving forward, when I graduated high school, it was either um, going to food or going to music. And, and I, I initially went into music first. I uh, studied, you know, classic guitar, and every job that I had just happened to be in a restaurant. So uh, fast forward, living my life as a young, you know, 20-year-old in the 30s, um, I uh, went on a world trip with my wife uh, at that time. I was 26, loved the food around the world, and we decided to go professionally into food. Uh, so fast forward to 2015, I, uh, I, I started a little catering company called The Wooden Boat Food Company out in British Columbia. Um, and, you know, about eight months later, I realized that it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I had basically like a yearning um, to be self-employed, uh, to have some direction, to have some purpose. Um, and this, a lot of people don't know this about me. Um, I grew up in a, in, a, in a strong household, but culturally it was difficult for me because I was a poor student. I was really artsy. Uh, I wasn't academic in, in such, you know, the true sense of, of, you know, mathematics and science and all that, but I was extremely gifted in the arts. Um, but I grew up with a sense of being uh, less than uh, smart, less than um, um, driven. Um, and so in comparison to my other, my brothers and things, you know, I, I really had to push and work hard for absolutely everything. So that being said, I had a yearning um, and like a real need to prove myself. Hmm. And so um, I started the restaurant, the catering, and then I started my nip chum sauce, the, um, the dipping sauce, the Vietnamese mm -hmm. dipping sauce. Um, and again, I mean, that was all calculated. And, you know, you were talking about why would you risk opening up a restaurant? It's incredibly risky. Um, you know, it was, it was I, I don't consider it a risk because anybody who's in business understands that if you calculate it properly and you execute it properly, it's an investment. Um, so there's no better investment than yourself uh, if you have the confidence, you have the commitment, you have the drive to do so. So uh, that's 2015. Well, we were, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I, I, that, I, I want to jump in and say it's so inspiring for any teachers who might be listening as well. Because we know there's so many teachers in our community who put so much thought into how to bring out the best uh, and recognizing there are different talents for some, it might be that they really excel in the si in the sciences and, and math and that. And others, it, it might be in the in the arts. It might be different learning styles. So as you share your story, Thompson, that's kind of where I go immediately is thinking, I'm so glad that there were the right mentors and supports for you along the way to ensure that the you got such a diversity of talent that you know that was able to kind of flourish. Uh, yeah, it's really inspiring. Yeah, and, and as, as an educator, I naturally gravitated actually towards the kids who 
essentially didn't do well in school because of either behavioral, um, learning, uh, any kind of other disability. So they became um, my best students. Uh, and, and because they were so committed to their own personal learning that somebody would recognize that they had strengths other uh, outside of the uh, you know the kind of the traditional model. Um, so yeah, um, everything that I did up to then uh, really kind of led to now, which is now Kitchener. We moved here in 2017, and I opened Woodboat 2018. And um, you know we started out as a an eclectic sandwich bun me shop in in a manufacturing kitchen. And that was the reason for the kitchen. It was actually for me to continue to grow my sauce business. Um, and it just turned out that people liked the food I was cooking. And, uh, <laughs> yep. and, and so I just I continued to develop the restaurant side of it uh, while um, continuing mm. to grow and jump across Canada as well. So we're in about, uh, we're in about 300 uh, retailers across Canada at this point for the store, uh, for, the for the sauce company. So yeah, we'll continue to do that. So. That's wild. And I, it's neat to hear too that the evolution of an entrepreneurial journey as well, right? That, uh, you know, I'm not surprised. I didn't know that that part of your story that it started off with, uh, with the sauce and then shifted into the restaurant over time. But uh, yeah, that's encouraging to hear too. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it, it kind of naturally worked because I worked in a lot of restaurants that were fine dining and really, really uh, excellent in service and, and, and ingredients. And uh, that also then is the reason why I am all about uh, kind of a green economy, just like you, about sustainability in small business. Um, yeah. Because my mentors prior, my chefs, the owners of the restaurants that I work for, uh, are godfathers in uh, the sustainability movement, localism, um, uh, and, and so yeah, quality products about sustainability. And, yeah. Well, and I've, as I've seen with many other businesses I've worked with over the years, particularly for the smaller ones that um, that it can reflect your values. And so, you know, so often uh, for a larger entity, there's a much, you know, uh, more corporate side of it all. But for a small business owner, well, really, if, if that person's values are sustainability minded to start, as like anything else, those values and personality is reflected in the company. Uh, so I just, I appreciate that you've let those values kind of uh, become a bit of a competitive advantage, I bet even, right? That's, I can speak for myself and I know for many others, uh, when, when I'm thinking about uh, um, where, to, where to eat, knowing that there's an option that is, you know, ocean-wide certified and sustainability-minded at heart, uh, you know, that, that, that matters for a lot of folks. Uh, yeah, you, you know, I, I did a little bit of number crunching. It's, this is really interesting. We have about 630,000 people in KW region, I have, as a regular regular base, I only have 600 people, okay? Now you think about that, that's point one, that's one-tenth of one percent of the population. Right. And that's, that's all that I am needing in order to thrive through a, an economic downturn, it's, it's insane. But that is specifically speaking to um, the values and the core values of the people who come to the restaurant. Right, because you still sell out every Friday night. <laughs> I do, I do, and it's and it's. We try not to do that on purpose. Like I really try to stretch it as much as possible, get as many people in as I can, um, yeah. which we will because I'm getting, I'm finally rehiring, and that's because of everybody. That's because of the the, the base, the customer. So let's let's talk then a bit about the pasture. And for those that are joining us now, again, I'm here tonight with Thompson Tran, uh, owner and executive chef at the Wooden the Wooden Boat. 
Um, and so, you know, Thompson, let's, well, I guess start with me. To me, it's so important that we have restaurants like the Wooden Boat to bring vibrancy to our community. Uh, and we also know that the, that the pandemic has been hard on many small businesses in particular, but no, no two pandemic experiences are the same. So let's start by just hearing, do you wanna share a bit about what the last year has been like for you personally and also for the Wooden Boat? Yeah, um, I mean, it's no surprise that everybody's suffering. That included us as well. And uh, for the first, I would say, um, three months, it was really tough. Like, just, you know, uh, we were stressed out to the eyes, really trying to figure out how to, to, uh, to survive. And, and one of the reasons was because we had to let go of all our stuff. So not knowing that it, not only does it affect us, but it also negatively affects, um, you know, another, another group of people, which is your uh, valued employees. So, um it was really tough for about three months. We, we did right away, we closed shop because uh, we wanted to just kind of reassess everything um, uh, just to be safe. And yeah. at the same time, I spent lots of hours planning, strategic planning, because that's really important is that you plan ahead and you, um, you focus on your ideas. You know, you kind of almost become like a, you know, a Clydesdale. You're just a horse. You're just like, okay, this is what I need to do. This is my goal to survive. Um, and so I made kind of a long-term uh, commitment to myself and my staff that in 12 months or less, I was able to turn it around and get them back. Um, and so that I actually did what was kind of counterintuitive um, to everybody else. I ended up spending, uh, investing, investing 10 grand um, that I didn't have into uh, growing and maintaining um, kind of our base and, and trying to figure out how to do it. So we knew that the cold weather was coming, so I purchased um, a wood-fired oven and I make pizzas. And so we knew that there was a certain base that wouldn't have come to us otherwise, but there's a certain base that comes to us just for pizza. Um, and that cost me you know, like seven grand. Um, and that was money that I didn't have, but it was also had my back up against the wall and I had to do something. So that was number one. Um, and number two, you know, I. I doubled down on the strength, um, the point of difference, the USP, our unique selling proposition that we have in comparison to other restaurants, uh, which is um, we make uh, fantastic food, you know, uh, with a lot of detail and great ingredients. Uh, there's a lot of food literacy. And again, you know, we're, we're really kind of uh, honing what we do. So we doubled down on that. So um, I made sure that I reached out to our client, client base and said, hey, listen, uh, we're in trouble. Um, as a reminder, this is what we do. We support our local farmers. Um, we really are like zero waste. We don't use any tinfoil, parchment paper, saran wrap, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So in, in return, customers answered uh, the call. The, and, and there was, yeah, a call to action and, and they did respond. Um, and that was about our fourth month in of the pandemic. And, um, and that, I'll be honest, I, I didn't have enough money for that rent uh, in the announcement of March and April. Uh, um, but at the same time, I didn't, I didn't really get any, um, any financial assistance uh, from the government, but on purpose. I had enough other things to worry about, and we had just enough to kind of stay afloat, and we wanted to try one more thing before we kind of dipped into that. Um, so, and it worked. It worked. Um, and I'm going to say one more thing. I think mm -hmm. the, the, if, if, you know, individuals who own businesses are, um, know their strengths. And it could be one, it could be two strengths. Uh, in my case, it was, I knew that I could cook very well. Um, and number two, that I will never burn out. So 
and 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 it's very true. Like I, I will work and I can easily work 70 hours a week without um, feeling exhausted. And that's just me though. That's just there's something in me. I think I might have a little ADHD, you know, something like that. I'm not sure. I just keep going. Well, a theory of mine is, you know, there's a bit something to do with kind of you get what you give and you put out a lot of positivity and good energy. And I'd like to think that that's might be some of what you feel back from people when they're showing up at the rest, the restaurant, whatever the case. Uh, I hope. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear you say that because that positivity, Thompson, just is uh, the ethos I always kind of feel from from you. And, and so I, I guess I'm curious. Uh, have you been able to do that in terms of hiring back some of those staff without the government support? Or to what extent has that been true? And in terms of kind of customer support, uh, what can what what should people know in terms of continuing to support? Um, what yeah what what is yeah what do you want people to know? Um, so I think uh, I think I think the so let's just go with the staff. So yeah, uh, I did let go of my staff, and I'm going to be completely honest. I was a little bit heavy on the uh, the labor side. Um, so it really kind of forced me to refocus and to kind of uh, look at my PLL, uh, make sure that my profits and losses were balancing, um, at, at the very least balanced, uh, and they weren't. So we, you know, I, I made some adjustments there. Um, I did let go of everybody. Uh, I did bring back an administrator for a little part time, and then my sous chef, uh, praise the Lord, he is coming back in three weeks. All right. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, but, but I couldn't have done it without people, uh, again, the community supporting us. So he is coming back in three weeks, and he's going to be close to full time. Um, and I never intend on letting him go ever again. Um, I'll, I'll chain him down if I have to, because uh, he brings such good um, energy, ideas. Uh, he's very thoughtful, and his ethos in, in, in the whole thing we're doing is also about zero waste, sustainability, green uh, community, localism. Um, and so what I'd like customers to know is, you know, spread the love. Don't just go to um, the big corporate boxes. There's nothing wrong with going to, you know, a large company that you feel nostalgic about. Uh, it might be a big chain restaurant, but you might have some nostalgia with it. Go ahead. But you really um, think about the families that are behind uh, these small businesses. Is there anything, Thompson, for folks to know in terms of some of those, I think about, you know, the ripple effects of the pandemic. And so while I'm glad that Wooden Boat has been able to, make the right cha changes to continue uh, to thrive. Also think about some of those people that might've been em employed with Wooden Boat and, and no longer are, and what their experience of the pandemic is like. Are they, or have they been able to get rehired in the local food industry? Or are there other things people should be keeping in mind in terms of how to be making sure that, um, yeah, that, that, that those folks continue to, um, to to find a place in Waterloo Region, I guess, or whether that's in terms of their work in the local food indus industry or whether it's retraining to something else. Uh, curious your reflections on that. Um, so on, on our personal uh, personal basis, um, one of my cooks became a butcher, uh, and I knew that the butcher side of it was going to be, maintain, be able to maintain her financial needs, so she was able to do that. Uh, we knew the other two were going to be able to go on EI, so that was comfortable. Mm -hmm. as well so uh, it allowed them a little bit of time to refocus on what they really care and cared about um, and what I think it kind of in a broader sense is you know is that that idea of many hands make light work you know and and the idea is that if everybody spent just a little bit more uh, to, to kind of help keep uh, local businesses afloat 
it doesn't cost you more than maybe a thousand dollars extra for the year but you times a thousand by six hundred thousand people can you do the math on that for me we got six hundred million i don't know no is that six million sixty million i think something Ish. like that Ish. i mean you know give or take a zero um or a decimal point but it really makes a big difference and um and we live by that ethos, my wife and I. Like we spend as much as we can locally. Uh, and we, if we buy a gift certificate, guess what? It's not to Amazon. It's not to right. um, it's it's to like Aura at Ambrosia Pastry and Corner Bakery and all that stuff. So let's talk a bit about that kind of collaborative approach. And so I don't know much about either of these two stories, but my understanding is that you were part of a group of folks that supported. Uh, faux Vietnam, a restaurant that didn't have an online presence and all of a sudden an Instagram account got launched and all this. Um, my understanding, you're also collaborating with Knife and Pestle, at least operating out of the same location. Uh, so feel free if you want to share more about those two experiences. I think it's interesting for folks to hear about kind of behind the scenes, how, uh, you know, small business owners are working together or to what extent they're supporting each other. Uh, but also like, you know, why, how did you find the energy for that, right? Or kind of, yeah, curious your reflections on that experience too. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, so Pho Vietnam is one of my favorite Vietnamese restaurants. Um, and so I'm, I'm a regular there and they know me by name. And, um, and so we were just chatting and I had no idea how bad it was. And they said that they weren't sure that if they were going to be able to survive. Uh, it cost me nothing. Um, I have some influence in the community and I think a positive influence, I believe. And so I, you know, it cost me nothing, so I give a quick shout out. And and before you do it, uh, there was, you know, they, they tripled their business in that one week. Um, but it but it is it's it's it's, it's very similar to, um, you know, you don't know it's there unless somebody tells you. So it's the concept of them pretty much at the at the breaking point of their business, and but they're they're too proud to tell anybody. And so uh, it was an easy decision for us. And so we we did that and. Um, well, well, and the extent to which all of a sudden digital marketing becomes a core competency for a restaurant owner, right? Like this is, you know, one of these realities of the pandemic that if, if you, you know, already had experience with social media and had an online presence and knew how to build a following, you know, the, the experience of the pandemic was very different. Uh, you know, so uh, when I saw that account get created, um, you know, yeah, it's just, there's something special about that, uh, that, you know, seeing that come to life, I guess. And, uh, and I can only imagine how difficult again, for the owners of Vietnam, you know, not expecting to have to be savvy on Instagram. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the challenging thing for them is that they are BIPOC. They are people of color who don't have uh, not only the, the, the technology skills, but they don't have the, uh, the language proficiency either to kind of really translate what they're thinking. And so Janelle Lowe and her partner from Bite Size Co. there, they, they started it. They're the ones, they took the initiative. They went out and they purchased like a full meal from Pho Vietnam and they took pictures, professional pictures by, you know, uh, and they posted it. And that was like one of the major things. So I'm still in contact with them. I'm trying to get them on, um, uh, a little bit of a routine to get their uh, their online presence, but so that's that's Fabi and Am. They're doing okay. Uh, let's just keep continuing to um, support these small businesses. And Knife and Pestle, um, they're in our kitchen, um, and so I opened up the kitchen to them. I wasn't going to, uh, but they reminded me of me. They're they're about uh, ten years younger than than me, 
you know, that was when I had more hair, less, less wrinkles. <laughs> uh, but I was ambitious. So, and I think the number one thing for a lot of small businesses is financial um, means to, to start a business. And so this was an easy way for them. It actually helped me a little bit. Um, and I'm an extro extrovert. So I've been alone the whole 12 months working. Right. And so, and so this has uh, just been amazing. Uh, we talk about it. We talk about community. We talk about, hey, where are we going to go in the next six, eight months, 12 months? Um, I, I'm going to sponsor them um, for an ocean-wide sponsorship uh, for this year. I'm going to pay them. I'm going to pay uh, for them to be partners with OceanWise, um, and they're going to be doing the same thing. Like you know, our plan is to continue to give uh, money to programs locally, anyway. So, right on. We just have to. A little bit goes a long way. Yeah, I know what you mean about that that two way street. When I was starting Sustainable Water the Region over a decade ago, I happened to be living with a close friend who was also starting a social enterprise. It was called Students Offering Support across the country. And I've often shared with students since, it wasn't a formal incubator the way that, you know, St. Paul's Greenhouse is, for example. But having that good energy from Greg throughout, even just to kind of bounce ideas, or even on the, on the harder days too, to have someone who was in a similar experience to kind of share that experience with. I'm not sure I would have been able to, I, I wonder for the, the folks at Knife and Pestle, you know, when they have some of their tougher days, the fact that they have you as, as someone who might have gone down that path and had some of those experiences already, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad to hear that. I just think those ex those experiences can be really powerful to keep a person going in a in a tougher uh, uh, journey. And no doubt, you know, starting up in the midst of the pandemic, uh, you know, they're going to have ups and downs along the way, right? Yeah, it's it's insane to think anybody would open a business in a pandemic. So. Uh... But they, they've been doing well, and uh, they're incredibly happy. And one of the partners, you know, was working in a job for many years, not happy. And he, his wife was finally able to convince him, and he's super happy right now. So, uh, right on. Yeah. So the, the collaboration thing is a, a, a must. Um, and, but it's really important, of course. And before they came in, I was asking them a million and one questions about their values, about their ethos, um, their attitude towards food literacy, and mm. even, even simple things like what's your attitude about – um, no plastic. So just really simple things, and and uh, and it all kind of really meshed well. So it doesn't always work out, but in this case, it worked. Uh, it has been working out fantastic. So wow, yeah. Like anything, whether it's a relationship or a friendship or a part partnership, having similar values, pretty foundational. Uh, so I'm glad that's the case for you, and that's the sense I got on the outside looking in was. I had kind of an implicit trust for them knowing uh, of the connection with you, right? Um, so I, I got one more question or kind of a group of questions left. And then we'll, we've got a few that have already come in. Um, so if, if folks that have joined have more questions, again, here tonight with Thompson Tran, owner and executive chef at The Wooden Boat. If you've got questions, feel free to, to put them in the, in the, in the, in the comments. Um, I've also been informed it's 600 million. <laughs> the number from earlier <laughs> so yeah add an extra zero it only makes your point stronger <laughs> is, is that not crazy that's nuts a thousand, yeah. a thousand or let's say a hundred dollars more per family spent locally it yeah. keeps in like 67 percent of the dollar you spent there in the community it's yeah. insane it's amazing it's amazing yeah so, it's the power the power of it so absolutely 
So I wanted to talk a bit on a, on a more serious note as well. Um, you know, we, in light of the targeted murders last week uh, in the U.S., uh, and, and also, you know, I feel lucky to be kind of in conversation with a member of the Vietnam, the Vietnamese community. Um, you know, as a member of that community in Waterloo Region, want to just open it up to you, Thompson, you know, to the extent you feel comfortable or would like to share about any reflections you have around anti-Asian racism in our community, and also what you think we can be doing as we seek to build a thriving and anti-racist inclusive community um yeah take that where you where you, you you'd like um i mean you, you know we, we all go through uh the process of kind of mourning and, and you know when we find out about these um these horrific situations and and the the first thing for me was shock and then uh disbelief and and, and anger and, and all that but i mean we're uh, i'm at the point where i reflect on my personal experiences as a uh, person of color um, you know, I was born here in Canada, and and because I don't have a language barrier, I don't have cultural barriers. It's very easy for me to adapt and, and to be part of the community. But individuals um, who don't have these uh, these leg ups, uh, for example, um, have a harder time. And and I think as a result, um, there's uh, misunderstandings. And and again, there's you know, it's it's a level of ignorance that unfortunately creates this violent um, and, and again, anti-Asian, um, uh, you know, uh, mentality. And I, I think as a community, I think that there is 99% of us who are absolutely fantastic people. That 1% who, who, uh, who show, demonstrate prejudice, demonstrate uh, racism towards any, um, any other uh, race beyond their own, is uh, miseducation. Um, mm. I, I don't think the idea of uh, hating anyone uh, because you seriously just want to hate them it doesn't uh, it doesn't jive with me. I think it's a level of education that um, uh, that we need to foster. Um, and I, I and I think you know we're very lucky. I mean, we look at the last decade, last twenty years, last thirty years, things progressively get better. Um, yeah. But but I think you know. Um, Empathy is, and actually, it's empathy from coming from us, uh, uh, people who who see the wrong that's happening, and not saying, "Oh, that person deserves the death penalty or deserves to be locked up in jail," but rather the idea of saying, "Okay, that person came from a home or a group of individuals that surrounded them that gave them this uh, misunderstanding, uh, mm. this misinformation of." A specific race or, or color and and I think if we can understand where they coming from you know we tear down those walls uh, because I mean we all have aunts we all have uncles we have grandparents who believe that a certain race is inferior or, or such and such and I think um, instead of yelling at each other and fighting negativity with negativity it's that whole idea you know with Alan Corey it's like uh, uh, love love beats hate yeah and and I believe moving forward these are the kind of horrific um, situations that occur for us to shake our heads, uh, refocus, and to move forward in a positive way so it doesn't happen again. Um, and I think, in, in, again, in KW, there's so many amazing people out here with big hearts. Um, and so we continue to, uh, to make sure that everybody, again, specifically our kids, 
um, are afforded the opportunity to learn uh, more about different cultures, uh, the more they'll understand and the more that they will um, be loving and kind to others. So, yeah. Yeah, well said. Thanks, Thompson, for, uh, for that reflection. Uh, and certainly, you know, recognizing the systemic nature of white supremacy, of anti-black racism, anti-Asian racism in our community. The, uh, you know, I, I, when, I, when you're sharing some of this, I, as you talk about the need for, for empathy, and also then I hear kind of the need to, to proactively I think there's been a lot of uh, conversations that uh, I've been uh, learning from in this shift from folks who are saying, well, okay, I'm not racist versus what does it take for individuals, communities, and systems to be actively anti-racist, to be actively working against some of these systemic realities that, uh, that, we, that, that are the reality here in our community, uh, just as you know, as we hear horrific acts in other places, recognizing that those, you know, the ripples of those things exist um, is what I've continued to hear from folks in our community as, as well. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you, you know, pretty recent from some really, uh, really difficult um, time for a, a lot of folks coming out of that experience last, last week. So I appreciate you being willing to share yeah, I, it hits it, it home because I think about the, the, the women who um, were murdered in, in the salons, you know, that's my, that's like my auntie, that's like my aunt, my cousins, um, you know, I think, like you were saying, I really like the fact that you were saying proactive, it's about act, like active engagement, it's about doing something more than just talking about it, and really kind of uh, acting on these um, uh, while while the iron is especially hot, and really making sure that the points are proven, and you know that there are things being done to uh, to prevent it from happening again. So, agreed. Thanks, uh, thanks to Thompson for that. Uh, I want to shift now to some of the questions, uh, if that's okay with you. Uh, some of the, some of the questions that that have been coming in. Um, so the first uh, is, is coming back to the music side. I was hoping, uh, Ali, thanks for asking uh, this. Um, so the question is, how does your music training inform your cooking? Uh, and then, then the other way around, how do your chef skills then inform your musical inspiration? And while we're on this train of thought, we'd love to hear a bit, a bit more about the Grammy too, <laughs> or the, not the nomination at least. <laughs> um. So you know what's what's neat about like what's the what's the kind of almost like a um, commonality between music and food is that they, they are arts and they're they're like tactile. They're you can see immediate results by practice. And so I think you know I I, I studied when I was at university I studied like six hours a day on the guitar I practiced and and I and I practiced in such a way that it was methodical. It was about method. It was about uh, being practical and everything that you're doing and being really efficient. So guess what? In the restaurant, it's exactly the same. It's about you got to be methodical. You have to be um, um, strategic. You have to be kind of orderly. And at the same time, you have to be meticulous. And um, it all, I mean, it all kind of translates in, in that way. But I mean, I love food. I've always loved food. Um, music essentially saved my life, to be completely honest. Hmm. Uh, 
uh, yeah, going from elementary school into high school, I, um, I was with the wrong crowd. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, um, and when I got to high school, I was still not quite set in what I was going to do. Grade eight. I mean, you know nothing, right? You just kind of do what your peer groups do. And so I was continuing to kind of act in, in uh, negative behaviors. But then I, I, I found music, joined band. I was, in, I was pretty much in every musical um, group in high school. And so that saved my life. And at the same time, I really loved food, being in the restaurant with my family. And, and I think deep down, I always knew that I was going to become a chef more so than music. Uh, but music was such a, a love, and still is a love of my life. I'm, um, I'm actually studying jazz guitar now. It just, uh, yeah. I mean, we're never too old to learn anything new. So, um, so, so I think that kind of allowed me to grow, allowed me to go and be creative and uh and do things that other people wouldn't have so with the grammys um it's such a long story no it's not long at all it's it's, it's <laughs> and, uh the band that i was in was called splitting adam they were already together prior to my joining um like eight years uh, i joined and it, the funny thing is that band splitting splitting adam was a uh, business it was a business through and through, it was five business owners, which never works. That's why bands disband, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, and, and so we, uh, we we just kept writing music as we would have a product to sell. And eventually, we got into some um, some made-for-TV movies. Uh, we got some, a bunch of radio play, and then we got um, one of our songs into Need for Speed. Um, and then here's the part. Here's the part that people don't know. The Grammys has like two hundred and 50 awards, something like that. It's, it's enormous. Right. You only see 10 of the awards or, you know, like 20 of the awards. Yeah. So ours, ours wasn't even for the music. Ours was actually for like the concept of the album. It was for the artwork of the album. We didn't care though. Like we're one in the billions that will ever get that opportunity. That's fantastic. Yeah. So as a business, um, we did it. We made cold calls. We were able to like, you know, take gold. Um, he was the the manager of um, Tragically Hip. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, so then we played at the Horseshoe. We did the whole circuit thing. We traveled like to San Diego and all that stuff. And uh, and then we went to the Grammys. We got to hang out with Kanon, uh, Emmy Lou Harris, uh, Daniel Lanois, uh, ET Canada was there. David Foster was there. Um, and that was that was specifically at the Canadian consulate, uh, his house in in LA. Uh, and then we went to the actual Grammys as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, we made some good connections. We still have potential connections. We haven't been in touch with them for a long time. But um, uh, I loved it, man. It was a circus. What yeah. an incredible experience. I love that that quote. If you don't get um, the quote on that mug, it's probably one of my favorite hip quotes, right? No dress rehearsals. Yeah, and, and, like, and, mm. and, and like I purchased two of these mugs on purpose. When we moved to, when we moved here, actually, uh, these were, yeah, it's, so. It's not a dress room, you know that. <laughs> it, it also makes me think uh, um, my, my role at uh, Laurier is working with students uh, around their different social and ecological ideas to create some kind of a benefit. Um, and one of the things I love about it that I feel is, or I, I kind of hear in your story is it's not always that someone says, oh, I'm an entrepreneur first and foremost. But often, the other way around, it might be a music student who says, I want to pursue music therapy, for example. And now, how do I ensure that I can go about doing that in a sustainable, a financially sustainable way? 
And that's the kind of theme I hear from you, Thompson, is, okay, this is just a creative person with an entrepreneurial drive. And, you know, those two things uh, are ingredients that kind of flow between uh, a lot of different uh, areas of life. Um, and so I'm glad that you've been able to uh, experience that and, and kind of manifest that, I guess, that creativity in different, in different ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people just fall into entrepreneurship by accident too. You know, something comes up and, and there, uh, there's a creative bone somewhere and uh, it, it's made its way to the surface and, and uh, due to circumstance, positive or negative, Sometimes people are thrusted into these opportunities, and if you don't take the opportunity, you'll never know. <clears throat> and so, um, and like we said, it's not about risk; it's about calculated investment in yourself um, and having the confidence to kind of go for what you really want. Because again, I mean, we live one life; uh, you got a long time, man. I mean, it's, the Colonel started, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken when he was like seventy-five or something. Well, yeah, we got you got a lot of years, and also I hear about the support too. And having that network of for some, it's also a privilege too that allows for some of those risks to be to be to be taken. And it sounds like you've been supported and are also supporting others. I think those are important entrepreneurial themes. Uh, I've had a, a question come in, Thompson, around uh, your favorite dish to make for people. Do you want to talk about? Is there is there a particular uh, dish you 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 particularly enjoy making, and why that might be the case for for you? Man, I get this asked all the time. <laughs> like what? So there's outcomes when we cook for people, right? Yeah. If if I what do I like to cook? Yeah. Uh, that's that's my, how it, that's how it was phrased. Is what you enjoy to cook? Oh man. Uh, you know what? I I like cooking anything on live fire. I'll be completely honest. Um. So if like I love going out camping. I'm, I'm a huge avid camper. Um, so I love cooking stuff right on the fire. So if it's potatoes, I'll, I'll just throw them in the fire. Um, if it's a steak, you know, regeneratively raised, of course, um, I'll, I'll put it right on the grill. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Like I, I think that's, I like the food that takes a long time to cook because it allows you time to converse. It allows you time to connect um, it, but it also gives you uh, your senses an opportunity to kind of absorb what's going on. So you can smell, you can hear, you can see, and then eventually you can taste um, what's going on. So I think if I'm going to give you like a straightforward answer, it's <laughs> steak and potatoes on the fire. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I also hear it's about the process because that uh, I can also really resonate with is, you know, that experience of with a friend making a meal together, that experience together, the conversation that comes from that, the accomplishment, the sense of kind of shared purpose. Um, yeah, that's really beautiful. It, I mean, if I'm going to extend it a little bit, it really is, I, I value um, the ingredients so much more. Like, I mean, exponentially. If, if I got to meet that farmer or, you know, that fishmonger, somebody who raised, and, and it, it's, it's kind of hokey because you hear it all the time on TV from chefs, but the, the reality is, is Matt, how proud are you when you get to, and you know that the farmer raised this piece of, you know, chicken or whatever it might be, or the eggs. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic when I get to cook a sausage that Jamie Waldron from, you know, Waldron right. would make. Like, that's, that's the reality of it. And I think if people put more 
more value to the food. Again, like it's true value. I'm not talking about value is not about how full you are or how cheap it is. The value is all about what you receive for what you put in. And again, we're putting in dollars to get something out of it. And it, that's, that's the balance between the in and the out, um, not about how full you are or how cheap it was. Um, the, the word that's coming up for me is how nourishing the, that process can be of both cooking and then also in enjoying. Um, Thompson, I got another a question around this, this the teaching background because then we it's lucky we got someone you, both with a cooking and a, and a teaching yeah. background. Uh, so, would you mind sharing a bit about for folks who might have? Uh, so I'll read the question proper. So as a person with a teaching background, how would you recommend in introducing elementary and middle school kids to basic cooking skills? Any advice you might have? Uh, three words, okay. Rowing Chefs Ontario. Okay, so it's a program that was started out in British Columbia. Um, and my good friend Andrew Fleet moved from BC to London, Ontario. And he took that idea, it is a nonprofit, and its whole purpose, okay, its whole purpose, like any other nonprofit, is to not exist. They okay? put themselves out of business by making sure that they educate kids about food literacy and about food education. Now, this is not just about paper and pen and paper, uh, this is about hands on. They have a, um, so yeah, look it up, Growing Chefs Ontario. Um, cool. I'll be honest. I'm hoping to bring that program to here at some point. Yeah. So what they do is they take thousands. I mean, I'm talking like I think 11,000 students in London. Wow. Uh, they, they all spend a full day at the uh, facility, and uh, they learn about gardening first and foremost. They learn about the nutrition that uh, that comes from that. They learn about the community uh, that is developed around gardens, uh, and then they learn um, about picking it, harvesting it, prepping it, cooking it, and then they eat it. And at the end of the day, they leave. He gets um, a ton of experiential um, knowledge. Uh, and so what I'm going to say is, if you are an educator, uh, I was a high school culinary arts teacher. So I was a little bit at, at a higher level, still teaching, teaching the basics about life safety and, and all that stuff. Um, but for an elementary school teacher, those are the programs that we should be nourishing. So like agriculture in the classroom, um, uh, you know, uh, chefs, uh, kids chefs, uh, there's a whole bunch of programs out there. But Growing Chefs Ontario, contact Andrew, say that you heard me talking about the program, and see if they can't send you some, um, some materials. Because I guarantee you, they'll have stacks of materials to give you. Love it. Uh, thank you. We put a, a link to Growing Chefs Ontario in the chat. It's growingchefsontario.ca. Tell Andrew Thompson sent you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and just last thing is that if anybody who's watching is interested in becoming advocates for this program, contact me. Um, I am more than happy to be a sponsor for the program. I just need some extra hands to get it here uh, and to keep it going. So, Which reminds me, I, I, we should start to wrap. Uh, one of the questions I want to ask before we close, though, is the different ways that folks can get a hold of you. So let's just start there. You were just kind of, what, what are the best ways, Thompson, that, that, that folks can get in touch? Uh, best way is go to our website, www.wbfood.ca, or hit us on uh, Instagram or Facebook messaging. That's, the, you know, we're, we're always on top of things. So uh, don't call us. Don't call us. 
But like your, I'll say that the Instagram account in particular, I know like I go there to see whether things are sold out or not. Like it's it's right. It, like you, you, it's helpful content to get a, a good sense. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, kind of double the recommendation on the Instagram account. I find that's the best way. Uh, but we can also put we'll, we'll put the website uh, in the in the chat too. Um, in terms of sourcing local ingredients, Thompson, any reflections on in in Waterloo region how uh, to what extent uh, it's difficult or not to be sourcing local here? Uh, it, it is difficult, especially for the layman, for somebody who who isn't in the restaurant business. But you know you. One of the best things you can do is just look at a menu um, online from a restaurant that is doing sustainable things. You say, oh, hey, Wooden Boat's got five chicks in a farmer. Oh, he's got Linton, Linton pork. Um, a little bit of sleuthing, you'll, you'll find that a lot of these companies, especially right now, are happy to deliver um, their amazing local products. And it, there's like Bailey's, Bailey's Local Foods there with uh, Mary Rose. She's amazing. Uh, she's, she's a wealth of knowledge about local, um, local products as well. I mean, go to Charles Quality Meats. They've got a ton of local products. It's it's a simple way to, to really kind of make sure that people uh, stay in business. Well, on another angle of it, I know we've got one of the founders of Echo Reusable Containers uh, I saw in the chat earlier. So another way, kind of local partnerships too. Uh, of course, if, uh, if you're ordering, you can bring your own container. Uh, but do you want to talk a bit about your partnership with Echo too? Yeah, so during COVID, there's no BYOC. Just because of COVID. Oh right, sorry. Important. All all the more important to talk about Echo then. So please. So Echo is a, a, a mother daughter team who are who are first and foremost um, about the green economy. That's first and foremost. They're not about making money to start. Okay. They wanna they wanna have a viable business that is all about sustainability. So uh, all you have to do is go to uh, Echo E K K O dot C A I believe C A and uh, sign up, you just put your name, your phone number, and um, their partners, which I'm one of them, uh, they're gonna slowly grow. All you do is you just order from me, I'll put it in their containers. You take it home, you don't have to throw anything out, you just rinse it and you bring it back to me and they sterilize it and everything and that's it. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be simple. It's, uh, I'm probably not going to charge anything on it uh, because I just want people to use it. Well, and it's such a... Yeah, it's such an important way to be getting rid of food, of, of the takeout container, all that packaging and all the waste that comes with that. Crystal's gone ahead and put a link uh, to Echo in the chat. Thank you for doing that. Uh, yeah, Chloe and Crystal are just fantastic. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, and, and, and of course, so, so Wooden Boat is one of four pilot uh, establishments locally. Uh, I think Ambrosia is another one. Uh, we, can, we, can, we can put the rest of the, the list in the, in the chat. But Thompson, thanks for that too. That's again that like that ecosystem of entrepreneurial uh, that that um, you know taking different risks on 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 different organizations and people and giving people like me the option uh, to have a reusable container, right? Particularly in COVID, when you know we know that that the the plastic waste is only increasing. Uh, you know we and 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 we know we need to be getting plastics out of the oceans. This is such a constructive, simple way uh, to be part of the, the solution, right? Uh, uh, throwaway single-use plastics have gone up by 300%, just FYI. That's the stat on it. And June 8th is World Oceans Day. Um, the wooden boat is thinking about doing something, uh, depending on what goes on with COVID. But the reality is, really is about 
you know, being sustainable as possible, small steps leading to that. It all adds up to time. Agreed. And particularly again on World Water Day, um, all the more important to be making this point about getting all those microplastics out of the ocean and, and or at least uh, as we slow the rate that we are adding microplastics to the ocean. While of course we need government policy too. In the meantime, we can have entrepreneurs who are offering us different and better options. Last question, I promise, uh, about the sauce. Uh, the nuck, the nuck gem sauce, where can people buy it? Is there a secret ingredient you're willing to share? Maybe not. <laughs> Tell us a bit about that, Thompson. Um, you, you can get it at most local small uh, shops. That's 100%. Um, College Quality Meats, T&J's, Cottles, Ambrosia, uh, all over the place, Vincenzo's. So that's first and foremost. Uh, nuck gem is in every Vietnamese pantry. So you are eating very Vietnamese just by having that bottle yeah. and fresh herbs, okay? And then if I was gonna say anything, honestly, um, our recipe is as close to the real deal um, that I grew up with. And so uh, genuinely, uh, I'm excited about it. It keeps growing. Uh, people show a lot of love to it. And uh, there's really no secret about it. It's just, you know, six natural ingredients. and That's it, man, it's tasty, tasty, tasty. Love it, love it. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, that's, I guess, great advice for any aspiring uh, folks who want to be cooking authentic Viet Vietnamese food. That's probably the, the, the best place to start, right? Uh, Thompson, thanks so much again for doing this. Thanks to everyone that joined us tonight. Thanks for listening in and for the, quest for the questions. Um, Thompson, not only thanks for making time for this, but, but thanks for uh, what you're doing at Wooden, at Wooden Boat, uh, you know, bringing... You know, authentic Vietnamese food to our community and doing it in a, in a way that, um, uh, yeah, it's just so accessible that, and, and, and to do it in a, in a way that also partners, back to what we were talking about earlier, to be building others up alongside. Uh, that's, um, yeah, such an important, you know, there's a lot of folks who talk about kind of the barn raising nature of our community. Uh, but where it gets real is when people like yourself reach out and, and are supporting others and taking risks on others and uh, collaborating with others. So uh, thanks for all that you're doing in our community. Uh, and again, for folks that joined us tonight, check out uh, Wooden, Wooden Boat. Make sure you, you order early, though, because I wasn't joking before. It sells out every week. Uh, so you gotta, you got to be on it. Set yourself a reminder. Um, take out Thompson. I, I'm used to Friday, Saturday. Are you guys Thursday, Friday, Sat Saturday? Is it all three? Thursday pizza and then Friday, Saturday uh, takeout. But uh, as the spring comes around, we're going to be opening up more. And um, and one thing to say, thank you very much for your commitment to growing the green economy locally, and um, and for you for bringing people together constantly. So thank you. Well, conversations like this are just a jam. So I'm, I'm, I'm in for this anytime. Uh, if folks have other su suggestions of other small businesses to spotlight, we'll, we'll be doing one of these every, every month. So feel free to, to, re to reach out if you've got suggestions there too. Thompson, thank you again. Such a, such a joy. Take care. Be well.